when anyone describes any sort of semblance of community, right. the yeah. first thing that comes up is, sounds like a cult. Or like, oh, it's so cringe. Or like, right, it's so cringe. Or like, yeah. oh my God, that's like so weird for adults to be doing that. Grow up. Yeah. And like, we did, we tried growing up as independent adults. And like now suburban families have become sort of the icon of depression in America. Hey, what's up? I'm Bill May, and this is the Friendship Futurism Podcast, where we talk about friendships in the 22nd century. Today, I'm talking with Ashley Kristner. She's the founder of SkipTheSmallTalk.com. I found out about Skip the Small Talk through a friend of mine who invited me to attend in Boston, and I went to check it out. And the way it works is you are partnered up with a stranger, and you get prompt questions where you're encouraged to have deep conversations rotating every 10 minutes. I was really impressed by the craft and care that went into the event, and I was super inspired to learn about all the different facilitation techniques. So I reached out to Ashley to invite her to chat, and here we are. Ashley, my first question for you is, how do I stimulate your vagus nerve? (laughs) Well, that's a great question. I love that so much. I'm usually asked, how does one stimulate their own vagus nerve? So I like how someone can stimulate someone else's. I feel like for one person to stimulate another person's vagus nerve, it really varies from person to person. I think it's almost a game of like guessing what's going to work and then sort of, you know, guess and checking. Like this sort of reminds me of my time at the, when I was volunteering at a suicide hotline and like, you sort of have to guess what's going to like calm somebody down and like chill them out. And so I feel like for a lot of people, just validation goes a long way in stimulating someone else's vagus nerve, just telling them that like, whatever they're doing makes sense, is good, you know, that they're doing the best that they can. I feel like all of that can often stimulate someone else's vagus nerve. It's a little easier to do your own, I feel like. (laughs) So how do I, Bill May, stimulate your, Ashley's? Oh man, that's a (laughs) hell of a question. Oh my God, that's like a great nerdy psychology icebreaker that I want to ask everyone. (laughs) Honestly, (laughs) right now it's taking something off my plate. It's like if you, Mm. Bill, were able to be like, actually... I'm going to take care of your inbox for today. And also I've secretly been studying all the ins and outs and skip the small talk. So I totally know how to do this competently and I will do this for you. That will be the most stimulating thing that I can That's do. awesome. Yeah, yeah. I feel like my love language right now is taking stuff off my plate. <laughs> so like when I have someone in a work context, like take mm-hmm. something off my plate, I'm like, I have to sort of stop myself from being like, I love you. Thank you so much for doing that. So, <laughs> I think most entrepreneurs have that, yes. right? Yeah. Because you have the whole world on your shoulders. Yeah. You know, because there is no boss to like appeal to. You are yes. the boss. So, yes. You know, anytime you can yeah. get some responsibility delegated away. Yes. Very yeah. much so. Very much so. That's like exactly how I feel. So yeah, yeah that is definitely one way. I feel like weighted blankets. Also a big one, throw a big old weighted blanket on me, and that helps a lot. I'm one of the many people who just like, you know, even outside of the context of specific anxiety or anything, will just like throw on a weighted blanket just to feel nice and, you know, stimulate the old vagus nerve. Nice. Amazing. (laughs) Do you keep them in your office? I (laughs) Technically, yes, because my office is my house. (laughs) That's right. So, yes. Literally everything is in your office. (laughs) Right, right. Literally everything is in my office. (laughs) That's correct. Yeah. <laughs> Just expand the definition of office, right? It's like this is, yeah. It's like the whole world is my office forever. Right, right. right. The yeah. world is my office. Yeah. I yeah. definitely have been experimenting with that, trying to like work at home, work at libraries, work at other people's homes, stretching. Work at other people. You're welcome to work at my home if you want. Mm. I have a large Thank living you for room. That. That's awesome. Yeah. Careful, because I may take you up on that. Okay. Sometimes I'm like so sick of my own house that I'll like go over to kind of. Sure. Yeah. So I may take you up on that. (laughs) All right. I'll let you know then. (laughs) Um, So your vagus nerve is this part of your parasympathetic nervous system. Yeah. 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 Your your PNS, right? Mm -hmm. As contrasted to, and I just learned this, which is Mm -hmm. your sympathetic nervous system, your SNS, Mm -hmm. which is your fight or flight versus your rest and digest. Mm -hmm. But it seems to me that to build a better society, we have to be more in the PNS zone and less mm-hmm. in the SNS zone, mm-hmm. right? And so my question to you then is, how do we diminish our SNS and enlarge our PNS? Yes. Okay. I love this question because 
it is so much less glamorous than I think most people want to believe. Like, I think what I said earlier about like, you know, validation and interpersonal things that you can, you know, all the interpersonal stuff is great. And I think there is actually, I think a big piece of it is community. But I think the more boring part of it is running around, eating a vegetable sometimes, yeah. getting enough sleep, doing meditation, like all the stuff that everyone quote knows they should be doing, but that nobody is that, you know, very rare is a person who like, you know, a short of like Silicon Valley bros who like have sure. their, you know, days scheduled down to the millisecond. Very few are the people who are like, and here's how I make sure I have vegetables no matter what. And here's how I make sure there's time for exercise no matter what. And here's how I make time for meditation no matter what. I think it has turned into like that sort of routine has turned into such a realm for like hyper optimizers that like it's not the norm for the everyday person to just have a schedule that's really clear about how they're going to get all their needs met. Mm -hmm. And I think with stuff is like there aren't really societal structures for making that happen yet. Mm -hmm. And I think we're getting closer to it when like, you know, Google has meditation rooms there. They have food that they're like offering to people that like, you know, has high in antioxidant content and all this stuff. And I think little tweaks like that are what make people who work at Google mysteriously happy. And like, mm. I think it's stuff like that that really is huge. And I think there's this other component, as I was mentioning earlier, about just community. And I think this is another thing that we don't have structures for right now. Like, this is something I've been sort of bringing up to every single person that will listen to me for more than like two minutes is basically like, totally. how do you get community these days? Like we're figuring it out. We have this weird opportunity at this point of COVID where like, we haven't been doing community really for a long time. We have this opportunity to sort of start from the ground up and decide what community we want in our life, what we want it to look like, how often we want it to happen. And I think what I'm sort of realizing as I'm rebuilding that for myself and watching a lot of people around me rebuild it and being a part of rebuilding it for a lot of other people is just noticing that we need community a lot more than is societally sanctioned. A lot of like religions have like, okay, once a week we all hang out together yeah. or like, you know, a lot of clubs meet once a week. And I feel like that's the cadence that we have sort of fallen into. But I think realistically speaking, when people talk about the happiest times of their lives, it's usually college where you're constantly surrounded by people, where you can barely sleep alone for a lot of the time. And of mm -hmm. course it doesn't work for everybody. Some people should have their own spaces and it's nice to have a balance of, you know, sleeping alone sometimes, but for a lot of people anyway. But still, I think there is a lot to be said for sort of inadvertent community, community that happens just by getting your basic needs met. I think about college where when you get hungry, you go to the dining hall and just because you're getting that basic need met, you're also gonna be bundling that with your community needs. Mm -hmm. And I think that if we can do more of that sort of clever bundling, we're like, in order to like go to a cafe, suddenly you're gonna have to talk to people. But now we're in this place where you don't have to do that as much. Mm -hmm. You can just- It's all compartmentalized. It's all compartmentalized. You can Instacart and never talk to a person which is sort of another soapbox that I get on, which I feel like you just hit on my, like, in just, like, very few questions have already hit on the things that I could, like, talk for hours about. Yeah. So, but um, I've noticed that, you know, according to a lot of research, that when you are already feeling lonely, if you're already feeling lonely, that you'll be less likely to put yourself in social situations. So it's very self-perpetuating. Mm -hmm. That used to not really be as big of a problem as it is today, because you could be super lonely, but you still need to go to the grocery store. So you would have to talk to a uh, person. I see. You'd be super lonely, but you would have to, like, go get new clothes when, you know, you get a hole in your mm -hmm. shirt or whatever. Like, you, there were reasons you had to leave the house and you had to talk to humans, even if it was just in, like, a simple transactional way. That is mm -hmm. has actually been shown to reduce loneliness. Even those little small talk moments actually do help quite a bit. So taking that away from people so that you actually can go, like, a whole month at a time and have plenty of food, have all your basic needs met, except for community, mm. I think is a place where we've sort of screwed ourselves over as a society by like not really thinking of the consequences of all this great tech that we now have that we haven't quite figured out like, okay, but what do we do for the people who are feeling isolated and therefore are going to isolate themselves further? What systems can we put into place that's going to make that yeah. less of a thing? What systems can we put in place? Oh, honestly, I've been thinking a lot about 
college for adults. Okay. <laughs> like, Tell I think me more. there's some, yeah. It, yeah, there's a lot of experimental communities that have sort of done this. You know, it's sort of like dormitories and there's a dining hall and you totally can eat outside of it. It's not like a cult, it's not like you're forced to be there. But you're encouraged to eat together yeah. a certain number of nights a week. You all do laundry in the same space. They're just all these incidental ways of bumping into each other that even if you're feeling super isolated and depressed, if you want your laundry done at some point, even when you're put, you know, when you're pushed to the limit and you're wearing your like pants for the 18th time and you finally decide to do it, you are also going to be rewarded with some human interaction. Makes sense. So I, think I like how you sell this by prefacing it with it's not a cult. Yes, yeah, <laughs> that's always a really reassuring <laughs> thing when you tell people. And actually, that's such a great point because yeah. I think I've also noticed a lot is when anyone describes any sort of semblance of community, right, yeah. the first thing that comes up is, sounds like a cult. Or like, oh, it's so cringe or like, Right, you know, it's so whatever. cringe. Or like, yeah. oh my God, that's like so weird for adults to be doing that. Grow up. Yeah. And like, we did, we tried growing up as independent adults and like now suburban families have become sort of the icon of depression in America. Right. You know, you see those sort of like perfectly trimmed trees and everything. Yeah. Yeah. And you just think, oh, that looks depressing. (laughs) And there's a reason for that. Yeah. So yeah, I think we're at an interesting point where we get to experiment with new stuff and see what works. And okay, so single family homes where people don't talk to their neighbors isn't quite working for us. What other options are there? And yeah, I'm really excited about the other people out there who are doing experiments like this. And I mean, even Skip the Small Talk is like a piece of this where, I mean, my dream is to have Skip the Small Talk sort of in every major city so that no matter where you are, if you are Mm -hmm. at a point where you are feeling open enough to get yourself out the door, then we can sort of take care of the rest. We know how to work with folks who are feeling lonely. We know how to make it less scary. We know how to make it great for extroverts too. So like, it's a thing where it's still hard to show up though. I acknowledge that. Like if you're a certain amount of isolated, you might not come to a skip the small talk and that's tough. Right. So yeah, I think there need to be more safeguards for people who are not able to bring themselves to an event that's going to like help them feel better. I think this is such a good point. I want to follow up on the idea of cringe. I think embracing your inner cringe is the pathway to having good relationships. How do I, how do you, how do we get more people to be more cringe? (laughs) That's a fun question. All right. So I would say I might play devil's advocate on this one. I might say that cringe might actually be a sort of interesting, like if you identify something as cringe, Yeah. I've seen, and maybe this is just we're on different sides of the internet right now and I'm seeing like a different definition of cringe, but When I see cringe used often, it's almost a way to say someone was not being very conscientious. Right. So someone was doing something that was like hurting people in a small way or inconveniencing people in a small way. And I think that's a thing worth it. Like cringe in of itself, like if it makes someone go, oh, like I'm not sure that necessarily is the worst thing in the world. But if it is something that's making someone go, oh, because it's harming them Mm -hmm. or inconveniencing them or making their day a little bit worse, then like... Yeah, maybe we don't need that in the world. But I do think there is also a cringe of, like, people are terrified to be authentic or genuine. Like, I was talking to someone, I do this, like, living room musical theater thing where we just go into a friend's living room, produce a musical theater thing, and we're all very earnest about it. And it's, like, a silly thing that we do, but it's a silly thing that we do with, you know, a lot of earnestness. But my friend was talking about it and saying that her partner could never imagine herself doing it Mm -hmm. because she was like, oh, like, I'm just, you know, I can't really see myself putting my full self in it. Like, I'm a little too detached. I'm a little too, like, sarcastic and rough around the edges to, like, earnestly participate in a musical. And I think that, like, from her perspective, musicals might be cringe. And that might be, you know, that's the thing where I'm like, oh, I think people would benefit more from just being a little bit less self-conscious, which I think is easier said than done. But Mm -hmm. I think putting yourself in communities where other people are not being Mm self-conscious is such a huge way to grow your own self-confidence and your own willingness to be a little bit weird. Yeah. Growing your cringe. Yes. Growing your cringe. (laughs) I'll title this the episode. Yeah. (laughs) Growing your cringe. How to grow your cringe and enlarge your PNS. (laughs) (laughs) That note's going to spam. your PNS in these three easy ways. <laughs> Doctors hate it. <laughs> oh, amazing. 
Oh, that's good. I can use that. Thank yeah. you for that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I stole it from my friend Malcolm Ocean. He wrote an article: How to Win Arguments by Enlarging Your PNS. Basically. That's very good. Yeah. Oh my god, that's a good bit. Yeah. Yeah, I talk about the vagus nerve stimulation stuff a lot, so <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I'll get a lot of mileage out of that one. Yeah. Thank you. That's hilarious. <laughs> oh man. When we build these communities, right, where we have people, I think you and I are both conscious of the fact that like having a community is the best way of like having a good life, right? And like having a good parasympathetic nervous system. We seek and we yearn for these human connections, but at what point do communities cross over from being supportive to being oppressive, right? Mm. Because this is what I struggle with, which is that mm. the same traits or qualities that you would find in a community mm-hmm. where you have people committed to each other and supporting each other mm-hmm. are the same qualities that cause people to want people to not be individuals, right? And mm-hmm. like not take their full self-expression that leads to forms of oppression where mm-hmm. the community then values itself more than the individual, yes. right? But in a lot of ways, we don't want to be individuals. We want to be part of this bigger thing that's greater than ourselves, mm-hmm. but in a way that doesn't kind of destroy a piece of ourselves and yes. in the yeah. same term. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I think to some degree, almost virtually every community is going to be in some way supportive and in some way, like sort of, you know, you may not be able to do exactly a hundred percent what you want in every moment. For instance, like, and it just by being in society, like you can't just spontaneously take your pants off. Like that is a community space. Like yeah. depending on the community space, most will not, you know, support that necessarily. And that's for other people's comfort and that's fair enough. But um, I think there's definitely a lot of room between those extremes to play with and to sort of find a community that like, yeah, we're all agreeing to maybe not take our pants off because we want to include children. And like, I think this is also sort of speaks to this bigger thing about accessibility that's like, you know, there's no such thing as a perfectly accessible space. Because if you want to sort of welcome service animals, then great. But then people who are allergic to certain breeds of service animals are not going to be able to attend. And so, you know, I think what I have sort of landed on after like making, you know, six years worth of mistakes in this is sort of having options. And so having like a community for people who are most interested in this, Mm. a community for people who are most interested in this, a community for the folks where like, you know, bring your service dogs, a community folks for like, that's more allergy friendly. And I think even beyond accessibility needs that tracks as well, where like you can have communities for folks who all do want to take their pants off at the same time. And that's great. Or a community for folks who are signing into this contract to not do that. And I think that that's how you can get a lot more needs. And I think there's also this sort of, a lot of people are so traumatized by community and I think are not, don't realize it. A lot of people grew up in religions where like their parents shushed them in the middle of this incredibly boring, like three hour long service or like, um, and not that that's specifically traumatic, but I'm sure, you know, there's a whole lot of things where like, you can't bring your whole self to a lot of these contexts. And I think what's really sad to me is I've grew up with, um, at a Jewish school where half my day was in Hebrew, half my day was in English. We spent the first hour of every morning doing prayers in Hebrew. And like, I just remember I felt so out of the loop with everybody. Like all the other girls would go to like summer camp together and learn all these mm-hmm. like little like hand clappy things, <laughs> like, you know, the patty cake things but with like different words and stuff. And then I would, you know, they would come back and like, I would try and learn them. And by the time I learned them, they'd learned new ones. And so I just remember this feeling of like not quite fitting in just because I wasn't at the right place at the right time. But now more recent, and like, I sort of didn't think like to explore Judaism further because it just left me with this bad taste in my mouth. Mm -hmm. But more recently I had to go to a bar mitzvah and I was like, oh, fine, I guess I'll go. And it was actually super lovely. And they're like really inclusive of like, hey, if you need to like get up and go to the bathroom, that's fine. Like, by the way, like, here's our shout out to like, you know, um, queer Jews doing all this cool like liberation work. Here's our shout out to like BIPOC Jews like doing all this cool liberation work. And like it was just really encouraging to hear and to see that like communities as we know have really shifted. And there's of course communities that are still doing it the way that they were doing it 50 years ago. But mm-hmm. I think a lot of communities have really caught up to really recognize that like in order to be as inclusive as possible, you do have to respect individuality. Right. Even with the small talk and the small ways we've done that, where it's like, we explicitly say like, if you need to take breaks or if you just want to take breaks or if you're in the middle of a conversation and want to go, like, 
please go. Cause like, you're not going to be able to be very present with someone if you're busy thinking about how much you got to go pee or like how thirsty you are or whatever. So mm-hmm. we really encourage people to do it is going to be best for them. We really acknowledge like that people are going to be different and be on different pages and sort of ask people to, you know, have some compassion for themselves and others. Like, I think there's a lot of ways, a lot of ways to sort of set the stage to make it actually inclusive so that you're not just shutting down people's individuality. But yeah, I think regardless, like there is going to be some level of compromise that I think, honestly, if you've been burned before by community, it might be particularly painful to do even like a completely reasonable, like, you know, amount of negotiating of like, okay, I guess I will have to wear pants at this. I know. I don't know why I keep harping on pants. I think it's one that feels like yeah. fairly straightforward that most people are like, yeah, I already do that. That seems fine. Um, so yeah. 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 Makes sense. How do you think about exclusion then, right? Because Mm -hmm. this is something I struggle with, right? Is because like, I also like, I want to be inclusive, Mm -hmm. but I, I also recognize that it's not always an unmitigated good when you want to curate your experience in a certain way, Mm -hmm. right? Or Mm -hmm. like you want to attract people of a certain type of personality for the event to go a certain way, right? You want kind of more cringy people and you want to exclude (laughs) the not cringy people. Like, you know what I'm saying? And so like, do you value exclusion? And if you do, right, like what are some ways of building exclusion into an event? Yeah, that's a great question. I love that because I feel like the part of event organizing, the part of community building that people don't talk about is that exclusion needs to happen. In fact, Casper Dracaille, like, yeah. is this brilliant mind who does I mean, just the, practically, right? If you have yeah. a physical event, like, you, you're going to have an event cap, right? And right, so right. You if you make it first come, have... first serve, it's just like anyone who's glued to their phone will come first. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So there's so, e- even in really rudimentary ways, like, even a movie theater is exclusive of, like, the people who didn't buy tickets. Like, yeah. right. And so, yeah, there's this um, brilliant guy, Casper Dracaille, who was at the Harvard Divinity School, who does all this stuff on, like, power of ritual and community. And one of the things that he, I, I, in a conversation with him, I remember him saying, like, that exclusion is something that's necessary in order to be inclusive. Because if you're saying, like, okay, we're inclusive and this is a safe space for, like, I'm going to take an example of a group that I'm a part of, um, queer folks. Like, if we're inclusive of queer folks, great. But then what do you do with the neo-Nazi who wants to attend? And the answer that we've sort of landed on is still treating the neo-Nazis with as, you know, and this is controversial because I know there are folks out there who are like, punch Nazis. And I'm like, fair enough. Honestly, a year ago, I was on that same page. And now for a number of reasons, I've sort of shifted to with as much kindness as I'm able to muster without betraying my values. I feel like in that situation, I would ask, you know, I would explain to that person why we are not able to let them in. And I would also like basically say like, we don't have, and this is something that when we do, so we do ban guests. Like if guests do some, we have like a pretty extensive safety policy. And if somebody does something that contradicts that policy, if someone makes anyone feel uncomfortable, you know, there are different ways of making people feel uncomfortable. I know like there are a lot of neurodiverse folks who will, or I guess an individual isn't neurodiverse, but someone um, who isn't neurotypical, um, who might do something that someone finds offensive. Um, you know, I know that's a little grayer of an area, but if somebody does something that's like pretty cut and dry and like, you know, it harms someone. And even in a case where they weren't being intentional about it, but they were harming someone, we basically sent an email to them saying like, I'm sorry, we can't accommodate you at our events. Like we right now don't have the resources to basically be confident that we can reintegrate you safely. Maybe someday we will have some way to basically be like, great. Like if you harmed someone, take this series of classes and then like, we'd love to have you back and see like, you know, how you do. But right now we just don't have those resources. So we do have to exclude certain people. And yeah, it's, I I think what feels as fair as possible to do is Did you just evaluate on a case-by-case basis? Yeah, it's like a case-by-case basis. Exactly. So like, and we definitely err on the side of like trusting the victim and like, you know, I think it's been a big struggle to sort of, you know, when we stand by our values, people aren't necessarily thrilled by it. Like people fight back when they're like, but all I did was, you know, fill in the blank behavior that's like very clearly inappropriate, but like, you know, there's, you know, people aren't usually thrilled to be banned. Fortunately, it hasn't come up very often. Um, you know, in six years, it's probably happened three times. So, like, it hasn't happened a lot. But it is, you know, it, it makes me feel like we're doing something right, that people are coming to us when this is happening. Yeah. So, yeah, that's definitely something that's come up, like, every so often. But, yeah, I mean, I think there's also 
to your point about like, how can you be inclusive while still being exclusive? I feel like being able to have different spaces where it's like, okay, this is a space that is, we're optimizing for safety of these particular folks. And in this space, we're Mm. optimizing for the safety of these particular folks. And in this one, like we cannot necessarily optimize for safety, but we can optimize for like inclusivity in these ways. Mm. And so it doesn't mean that one person has to host all three of those events, but just the fact that like there's a bunch of people out there doing work like this, where you're trying to gather people Mm -hmm. allows for different people to fill different niches so that hopefully there is an event where like people who haven't really come around yet to understanding like you know people who are well-intentioned but like won't get pronouns right 100 of the time or like people who are well-intentioned but don't really understand the sexual orientation of their cousin or whatever like there should also be a place for them to like be able to learn and for others to meet them where they are but um i think just being realistic about what spaces are for that and what spaces are not for that mm-hmm. is what does everyone the best service mm. Yeah, I like that. I think because ultimately, like, you're the creator of the space, right? And so it's your community, right? And so you ultimately, you want to build the vision of what you want. You know, there's no need to apologize for the vision that you have. Yeah. Right. And, you know, if there's people who don't align with that, then they don't align with the vision. Yeah. And it's so hard to decide because I, there definitely was a point when I started Skip the Small Talk where I was like, no, I want to reach the people who, like, don't quite understand, like, you know, social justice or aren't at the same, you know, don't have the same social justice values that I might necessarily have. It's definitely a lot more work. Yeah, it's definitely a lot more work. And you definitely need to have an intentional space where everyone is opting into it. You know, someone highly trained is able to be there. And also just acknowledging that it isn't going to be fun. Like right now I'm trying to do a social event that is helping people feel more connected, helping people feel less lonely. That's my corner of, you know, what I'm trying to do in the world And I think there are a lot of other corners that do exist already to have people who are on different sides of the political spectrum to like talk to each other. And I think that's also really helpful work. But I think a lot of people conflate the two. I think a lot of people are like, oh, yeah, so it's give the small talk. Do you like have like, you know, yeah, do you have like a homophobe and like a gay person talking to each other? And I'm like, no, we like make it really clear in our events that we are like, you know, queer friendly. And like, I think in our event description, we like make it really clear like what It's been a sort of easy self-selection process that like people who would not be a good fit end up not coming. Maybe they should just have presidential debates with weighted blankets. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, totally. You know what? Cold Um, cold showers. That's what the tech bros do, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Cold showers. That's also a big one. Yeah, the dive reflex. It also, if you just uh, put water, cold water on your face, that does the trick. Yeah. Um, Also, I will mention a quick plug for, I swear um, I should get paid for this. Um, but there's this thing, I, I was remiss not to mention that there's this thing called a TV and S stimulation device. Are you familiar with this? Yep. Yeah. 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 So I have found that really, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I found that really helpful. Um, I recognize, I recommend it all the time to folks. Oh, how is that not wireheading? What is wireheading? Maybe it is. It, it's this, um, sci-fi technology where you put wires into your brain to stimulate your pleasure center. <laughs> and, then, and then you just push the, like, the pleasure button and, uh-huh. and then you don't need anything else. Yeah, no, that's great. Um, if it were, if it, so in my experience of using it, I'm not sure it necessarily hits the pleasure <laughs> button. It just hits the, you can digest food now button. Okay. That's useful. <laughs> yeah. Which is yeah. like, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So I feel like it it's near, helpful with yeah. just like, again, yeah, it's like the equivalent of taking a deep breath. Like what I tell people, I, I recently told someone like, what was it? It was like, if you can't do yoga cause or meditation, cause like, you don't like being alone with your thoughts. Like this is kind of a great alternative. (laughs) Interesting. Yeah. 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 Cause I think, you know, we, we tell people who are like deep in depression to be like, yeah, just like sit alone by yourself (laughs) quietly for 30 minutes. And like when the suicidal ideation comes up, just like let it happen. And like, Oh my (laughs) guys, like that's super not how that works. So yeah, I feel like a lot of people need a little more scaffolding and also there is this more effective tool out there and like, Interesting. It's available. People should use it. So yeah, I feel like very much like gotta get on that train. I feel like this is the next new hype product that people like the trendy. I you know, hope so. It would be the get. first like useful one as far as I'm <laughs> concerned. Yeah, I think it goes a long way. And it's definitely like yeah. way more accessible to the people who would benefit from it the most, I think. Right. Um cold showers are pretty useful. Cold showers are also useful. Um yeah. 
But also a thing that, so I also have like a bunch of chronic illness and chronic pain stuff and cold showers can actually exacerbate Oh, I see, I see. So, and that's true of like a lot of these things, like meditation can actually exacerbate like um, certain, uh, like paresthesia, for instance. Um, So yeah, yeah, in certain cases. So yeah, there's like a lot of asterisks for like, you know, meditation and yoga and cold showers and all things are great, but like also... There's like Ask your doctor if thinking thoughts is right for you. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Sorry. So good. So good. I love that. Oh Oh my god, I feel like that's like a poster that could be in a dystopian movie. (laughs) Yeah. That's right. That's so true though. That's really true. Um so you've been doing a lot of community building for a long time and obviously like you know, there's been a lot of ups and downs along the way. I'm curious, like, what is the most embarrassing failure you've had? Oh, boy, that's the favorite. Um, okay, so there's the most embarrassing failure I had, and then there's the most useful failure I had, and those are very different. Yeah. But I would say the most embarrassing failure I had was months after our first event. So I was, like, super green at this. Um, still figuring out what I'm doing. I decided to host an overnight retreat. Okay. <laughs> and, um, that was really bold of me. Cause like, I think a lot of people in like coaching communities do a lot of like overnight retreats right. and stuff like that. Um, and I was like, you know, I super don't think Scoop a Small Talk is much related to coaching, but like there are enough things that are enough similar that I was like, what could go wrong? And then I quickly learned that, um, you know, I was just doing it myself with my partner at the time who I'd roped into doing this. And it was a nightmare because I had to do all this, like, you know, I was doing all this sort of like intense, like emotional growth exercises that I had tested before. And that worked beautifully when I tested them before. Mm -hmm. And for the people who actually did it, they loved it. Mm -hmm. But for the rest of people, they're like, why am I going to sit here, like delving into my innermost thoughts, like, I paid money. I want to go swim in that lake. Bye, guys. And so we had, like, basically some people just defect and be like, no, I'm not doing this. I'm going to go swim around instead. And honestly, a big part of it was also those folks were significantly older than me. And Mm -hmm. I think there was, like, definitely a sort of, like, what the heck are you doing telling me what to do kind of vibe that I've learned a lot more tools for that over time. But, you know, at the time, you know, I'd just been facilitating for a few months. I was like, all right, fair enough. Go ahead. Um, So yeah, that was a pain. And then also having to coordinate, like actually running. How many people were there? Maybe like 20 That's a lot. It was too many. (laughs) It was for sure too many. And, you know, I was, you know, having to coordinate the pizza getting there while also coordinating like the person who's crying about like this incredible thing they just learned about themselves while also dealing with this person who doesn't understand that exercise. So yeah, I definitely tried to take on too much myself before I knew what the heck I was doing. Unfortunately, no one was harmed by it. You know, everyone, like, we still got great feedback on it. It was just like, <laughs> actually, when I say no one was harmed yeah, by it. Yeah, I was like, that you know I it. was like, <laughs> yeah, first of all, that I know it. Second of all, I absolutely, like, walked out to the car and, like, cried, yeah. like, sobbed, like, that night. And I was like, all right, back to it. Let's figure out who's sleeping where. So yeah, that was not a fun time for me. Yeah. Um, but yeah, weirdly, people, you know, we got good feedback, even from the piece people who defected. Yeah. Yeah. In terms of the most useful failure, I would say it was largely in, like, the structure of Skip the Small Talk, where I at first thought that, you know, I had it such that one person talks for a certain amount of time while the other person listens, that person talks while the other person listens, And I thought, oh, my God, this is so cool. We're finally going to like, you know, we already know that there are like gender and racial disparities and how much people tend to talk. This interview obviously being a little, but, you know, obviously counterexample to that. So hashtag not all everything. But um, I think I think you mentioned in a previous podcast, basically, a lot of people felt uncomfortable. Yes. Yeah, I'm impressed you did your homework. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. A lot of people uh, felt really uncomfortable talking. So they just felt uncomfortable having to take up the space. People felt uncomfortable, like, not being able to sort of chime in and show that they're listening in ways that were natural to them. So, yeah, yeah, we learned pretty quickly that that was not a good call. And now we've changed that. People seem to like it a lot more. Nice. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So talk to me about your prompt cards. I know you pull the prompt cards from, there's this famous New York Times article, The 36 Questions of Falling in Love. And like, I'm sure you've come up with your own that are mostly your own by now. I'm yeah. actually, I'm actually <laughs> curious what the Ashley flavored ones are. Yeah, but, totally. But, um, 
now that you've been doing this for so long, how do you like not go on autopilot when you are asked a prompt that you have already explained the answer to? Oh gosh. I think what's cool about these is that my answer changes to them every day. Okay. Like you could ask me the same prompt, probably even twice in the same hour, and I would give you different answers. Okay. Um, I think what's also cool Found about the extrovert. Them, What's that? I found the extrovert. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> you know you're an extrovert one. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's very much me. Um, I also would say that, like, um, we are changing the prompts every so often. So, like, yeah. even folks who have been to our events will, like, always be seeing new prompts and stuff like that. And there's also... Um, Do you have, like, different degrees of them? Of, like, here are, like for more when people are strangers, here are more for when people know each other? That's a great question. So people have sort of asked that, we've got interesting feedback because people have been like, oh, I would love like a, you know, marking, a, you know, some representation of like, okay, this is for like when you're just getting started and this is for like, yeah, when you're closer. And we've had trouble doing that with our cards because we've found that like people are wildly all over the map on all of them about like, oh, that's a really personal question. Or like, oh, I would answer that with a stranger. Right. What I've learned from it is that you know, there are these card decks out there that are pretending mm. like, oh, yes, this is like uh, totally appropriate for a stranger. This is totally appropriate for whatever. And that's just a lie. It just varies from person to person. And it's just like a cool marketing thing that people do. Right. And like, maybe we'll do it one day just as a cool marketing thing. But I will never claim that it is an accurate thing, not a cool marketing thing. Yeah. So cultural de dependent too. Yes. Yeah, so culturally mm. dependent. Yeah. I, I think it depends on what, where you personally carry shame. And there's no, you know, there's some societal ways to sort of predict that to some degree but beyond that i don't know i i could have had a very shameful experience with like a pinata and if you asked me about pinatas like i would you know clam up so yeah yeah they're uh all over the map um in terms of pinatas? <laughs> that's a whole other podcast <laughs> okay. my friend um <laughs> Got to break them open and see what's inside. Yeah, just like people, right? Yeah, that's right. Uh, <laughs> I guess not. Break them. Hopefully, a little less violently. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I found the cards have been interesting because they have also evolved over time. Mm -hmm. Like I remember the first week of the pandemic, going through the card deck and being like, you know, reading the cards and seeing like, what's something that gets you excited to get out of bed in the morning? You're like, nope. <laughs> what's something you're looking forward to next week? Nope. <laughs> and just like really having to change it just based on like the current zeitgeist of whatever's going on. So we try and adapt to that. Um, we're always coming up with new questions, always testing new questions. So how, how do you ask good questions? That is a great question. Uh, I, these are very fun questions, um, which makes me feel like just reverse engineering whatever you're doing. Um, yeah. I mean, one way. So reverse engineer away. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing saying that you have to be the person talking the whole time. This is just a social <laughs> convention, right? Yeah. Yeah. True. You can totally flip it on me. And that's, that's, so that's true. fine too. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm curious <laughs> to hear your answer. And I do have a sort of like, you know, the science of what we do to sort of create good questions is that. There's some research on what's called I statements, which are basic, or, oh my God, now I'm spacing on the real term. Is it I statement? No, it's not I statements. It's basically like um, sharing personal information about yourself that isn't just factual information, but it's actually about what you're feeling or what your internal okay. states are. So sharing about like, like I'm feeling happy or I'm even I'm feeling cold or like I liked this movie. Like that's right. more um, well, I know these as like I feel statements. Right. Yeah, right, right. So these yeah. are so these aren't I statements in the sense of like I know there's I right. statements and so I feel happy. Um, but there's another thing that is, is this sort from of like nonviolent communication. So no, this is like a more niche thing, if I'm remembering correctly. Okay. That now I'm like really <laughs> sure, no I'm like oh god, maybe I'll. Uh, it, it was like I something versus I sharing. There we go. It's okay. I sharing versus me sharing. And if I'm remembering it correctly, um, and Lord help me, it's been many years. I sharing is basically sharing internal states about yourself. Whereas me sharing is saying like, I am wearing a shirt today. Um, or I'm wearing a white shirt today. Whereas like I sharing would be like, I like wearing a white shirt. Oh, I see. So you can really, I think questions that get at those, that sort of elicit I statements. So like, if right. you can almost build in the feeling into the question, like it's tell like, me about a time you felt awe or something like that. It's like um, validating your agency upon the world. Yeah, right. right, 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 Like babies love knowing, like pressing a button and seeing something happen. <laughs> sure. Um, they hate pressing a button and seeing random things happen. Yeah. But isn't timed with that button pressing and I, no one grows out of that. <laughs> yeah. Or to me, it's just kind of what I'm hearing behind what you're saying is like, it, it's kind of like acknowledging your, your consciousness and presence, mm -hmm. right? 
in this conversation in this universe yes. and not just like kind of discussing like facts about the physical reality. Yes. Right. Because that like the facts about the physical reality are same, are the same for anyone. Right. But, yeah. but there's only one Ashley Christner's perspective. Right. Right. And so kind right. of soliciting your feelings is like kind of validating your presence as a human. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It like makes your experience in the world real because otherwise it just feels like a dream or yeah, something <laughs> like that. That's right. Yeah and, yeah. and I think it also allows for opportunity for the other person to be like, oh my God, me too. Yeah. And so I, I think it allows for opportunities for someone to be like, it's parts of yourself that you don't necessarily always get to share. So I think that also feels special and it feels special when someone shares something on their inside that you have on your inside, if that makes any sense. Right. Like, um, and I think those moments are really incredible. And what we try and make happen is give a small talk with, you know, questions that are sort of built for more eye sharing as opposed to me sharing. Yeah. Yeah. Look inside the piñata. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I'm curious what uh, your formula is for, uh, for good questions. How do I ask good questions? Yeah. Oh, boy. Um, how nerdy do we want to get here? As nerdy as you want to get. So there's a concept in information science. It's called information gain ratio. Uh-huh you can represent information with binary values, essentially. Mm -hmm. And so, okay, so backing up a second. Okay, so the thing that I want to learn when I ask questions is like, really like, I just want to like understand the person in front of me, right? Mm -hmm. Given that we have limited time in this universe for better or worse, right? It's like, you know, I, I want to kind of pack the maximum punch I can in that mm -hmm. question. In order to do that, right? I have to think about like, how do I, you know, that game, like 20 questions? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so, that's a great analogy. Right. Yeah. yeah. So it's like kind of the first question that you ask in 20 questions is not like, is the person that you're thinking of George Bush, right? right. You would, you would start with like, is this a person, a place or a thing, uh -huh. right? You'd like very general. And then once I kind of know more specifically, then I kind of, then you say, oh, it's a, it's a person. Then I can mm -hmm. be like, okay, was well, this person living or dead? Mm -hmm. Right. And you're, you're just like slowly carving out reality, but mm -hmm. every time you're doing it, you want to carve out as much of the reality as you can mm -hmm. um, to gain as much information as you can, mm -hmm. right? So this is this is the information gain ratio, essentially. I love that so yes. much. So I like I like list out a bunch of questions I want to ask. Uh -huh. Well, if it was more formal, I would do that, right? Sure, but sure, if it was sure. less formal, it would be like you know I would think about like okay, well, how do I get at the best way of understanding who you are? Uh huh. Yeah. Ugh. That's so fun. I'm always, now I'm going to see like when I meet a new person, like what is like the punchiest question? And you know, the punchiest in the sense of like getting the most info, not like, yeah. you know, glamorous. Sure. Like, Cause often the best questions are not particularly glamorous. Like, yeah. you know, yeah. I mean, that's the nerd's way of looking at it, but I think in the more practical comedian's way, like I also try to frame it in funny ways, mm -hmm. you know? So yeah. 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 That totally helps. Yeah. Definitely a little bit of humor uh, goes a long way. <laughs> yeah. 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 The 20 questions thing. I think that's, you know, it actually mirrors a lot of the findings of the 36 questions to fall in love yes. um, research, which showed that like, you know, sort of like a frog in boiling water. I think they actually like make that analogy in the paper. Yeah. Um, that, like, you, yeah. That you sort of want to like slowly get deeper. Um, if you're, you know, if you're in the middle of like a real life conversation, you want to like slowly sort of get your way into deeper conversation. And then yeah. so that it like doesn't, you know, shock you or feel too weird, which we can sort of get around by like setting some norms that skip the small talk and stuff like that. So yeah. that is also why we don't do the like, you know, slow burn. We sort of <laughs> jump right into it. We set norms, which sort of helps and like give people tools for opting in and opting out of stuff. Um, but then right. beyond that, like, you know, people have expressed really liking just getting to sort of like yeah. start. I find it's fun also to take even boring questions and just twist them slightly. Mm -hmm. Right. Nowadays, instead of asking like, oh, where are you from? Yeah. Right, I will ask like, how has the place you've been shaped who you are? Love that. Yes. Yes. That's literally, it's funny. That's an example I give when like, if you are either asking a question or answering a question, it's so easy to insert eye sharing in there mm -hmm. by just being, yeah, instead of where are you from? I usually, I actually use that example. So of saying where you're from, you say like, what did you think of where you from, where you are from? Or like, right. did you enjoy growing? Like, what was it like growing up there? Having open-ended questions like that. And then if you're answering, the trick is also like, other people don't necessarily know, have these skills to ans to ask like really grandiose questions. So like chances are most of your life, you are going to be asked like, where are you from? Yeah. And like learning to answer that in an interesting way that mm. gives other people something to grab onto has mm -hmm. been something I've also really appreciated. 
Um, so like, instead of saying I'm from Miami, I'll say like, which is true. And what I'll say, which is also true is I'm from Miami and, you know, I took the sunshine for granted, but I really did not vibe with like the people there. I felt like it was only in Boston where I felt like people were nerdy and accepting in a way that like, um, I felt a lot more at home. And suddenly there's like five things there that like anyone could grab onto. And it's sort of a, it sort of gives the question asker, like, choose your own adventure. Like, what of what I just said, like, is uh, is most interesting to you yeah. that you want to follow up on, if anything. Or do you want to, did you hate that and want to talk about something else? That's also great. Right. But yeah, being able to answer that, I feel like also goes along. And I think it was a sort of revelation to me where we're taught about how to ask good questions, but not really how to give good answers. Which, right. like, you know, a good answer goes just as far in, like, helping somebody else have a good conversation with you. Like you are doing someone a favor by giving them a little more info about yourself. Like, I think a lot of people are self-conscious of like talking for too long. Um, and according to research, uh, this is um, disproportionately like people of color and women. Um, and of course, women of color and also gender minorities tend to be a little more like conscientious of taking up space socially. And so I think that is a thing um, that comes up where it's like, oh, I just, they just asked me for this. So I'm only going to answer that because I'm sure that's all they wanted to know about, mm. but I think reframing it as like, actually you're doing them a favor. You're giving them something more interesting has been like a really helpful. Like to have a conversation, you just need something to grapple with. Right. Yeah. You know, you can't like kind of talk at somebody. Right. Right. So right. The, yeah. You need to have something that someone can put hooks into or something. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Be like Velcro. I was just thinking that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It'll be the soft part. The, like the, <laughs> the hooky part can then hook in. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Are you satisfied with your friendships? With my friendships? I know I keep saying that's a great question. I just always like appreciating a good question. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's just become like second nature now. And it's rare that I get this many great questions in a row. Um, am I satisfied with my friendships? It's a um, collaborative overlap, right? Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. That's my thing. Yeah. yeah. I would say I'm very satisfied with my friendships right now in a lot of ways. And I would say like, I am craving the same thing that I think all of my friends are craving, which is making putting us in this weird game where we're all waiting for everyone else to do it. Right. And I'm too tired to do it these days, um, which is specifically just having more fun. It's very easy for when I hang out with friends to sort of talk about like feelings and stuff like that, which like, what a freaking privilege that like my problem is that like I have all these great deep intimate friendships. Like, you know, that's a great place to be. But also I think a lot of people, and this is something I've heard from a lot of other people that I talk to. And when I talk about their relationships and their friends, that people are feeling a lot of heaviness from the pandemic and just feeling like, you know, that people are just recovering and like even still in the thick of it, of all the horrors that are happening every single day. And I think there's just like, it's really difficult to sort of shift out of that and move into like, okay, yes, the world is horrible. We're spending like this many hours mourning and this many hours like feeling sad about and whatever. And also we are going to go to an escape room and see yeah, if we even, yeah, like, even if we get like this, you know, even if we're not having the time of our lives, even if it's a little bit fun, that will be a success. Even if it is like a little bit of a break or a distraction, like great. And yeah, I'd be, I say escape rooms because I've been obsessed with like Bodeborg and level 99, if you're familiar. Oh with yes, that. it's on my list. Oh, so fun. Yeah. Yeah. I get, and this is also like I've been so curious about Amazing. lately is like, what is fun? Like, how do yeah. we create fun? Like, what is, how fun? Do you, what is fun? Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, I, there's a whole book on this that I have not read yet. Wow, reading and, a book on fun. I how know, fun. I know. <laughs> she, she does like acknowledge that straight yeah. up. And I'm like, I appreciate that because yeah. I'm absolutely feeling that about myself. But yeah, I mean, I think a lot of us should, frankly, because I think we're used to fun happening to us. Right. Where, you know, in school, like, oh my God, it's so-and-so's birthday. You're going to go to their party. And now it's like, you know, ball pits are few and far between. So yeah, yeah I think the thing. I mean, you are, can still go to a ball pit. It's just considered cringe to do so. Yes, exactly. Full yeah. circle. Full yeah. circle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and that's totally the thing of like, how can, what elements are necessary for fun? What elements should we be like, okay, like it's sort of become non-normative for adults to do this, but is there a reason for that? Is it okay for adults to be in a ball pit anyway? As long as like, yeah. you know, you're not like shoving any kids out of the way. Is that fine? Yeah. Yeah. I think there, it brings up a lot of interesting questions that we are nowhere near answering as a society. A couple summers ago, I hosted recess. Oh yeah. yeah it's basically, I got some of my friends together in the middle of the workday and we had, uh -huh. we had recess. 
Oh my god, I thought this was like a recess in the woods thing. There's like a re- no, it's just like a- you know how like recess in school, but like so good. recess, yeah. How was it? Well, was it fun? It was. Uh, so we had to stop. I'll tell you why. Because we basically got together and played like recess games, like Duck Duck Goose, like Freeze yeah. Tag, right? Like all the fun stuff you did as a kid. Yeah. Uh, we realized there was a problem, which is when you have fully grown men trying to tackle each other during freeze tag. Yeah. That is not a good outcome. Oh, did someone get hurt? <laughs> yeah. Or, so yeah. it's not that people get hurt, but just that like, what I didn't appreciate is like the kind of athletic ability of adults make, makes it so that like, it's, it's just much less carefree. Yes. Uh, especially these like really like physical games that mm-hmm. are, like involve roughhousing and like mm-hmm. all of that, you know? Yes. Yeah. So I've like, in my head, I put an asterisk next to the word <laughs> carefree. I feel like that's probably a really big element of fun. Yes. Like, yeah. That you don't have to be as like, you know, there's some loosening of how careful you need to be, how conscientious <laughs> you need to be in a temporary safe space. But right. Like, yeah. Like a kid, I'm imagining like as a kid, like, you know, you, you spin know. around with your arms out and like <laughs> part of the yeah. joy is that is being able to like take up space in a way that like, totally. isn't, you know, hurting anyone. Yeah. 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 Well, just even little things like if you fall, like your your bones are physically uh, more malleable as yeah. a kid, I think, right? Yeah, 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 and totally. Like, and you're just also like closer to the ground, so there's less right. gravity too. Right. Yeah. Oh my god, I went roller skating for the first time in mm. several decades, and boy, was that different than the first <laughs> yeah. time I did it. Yeah, falling is super different. Yeah. <laughs> the stakes feel very different. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. So yeah, I it's harder. I feel like as an adult, we have to be a little more creative about how we have fun. And yet on the flip side, it's like very, there aren't a lot of structures in place. So. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of work to be done there. Well, I had fun talking to you. Thank you so much. Yeah. I feel like I learned a lot. Awesome. I remember well, the questions. Glad today. you did. Yeah. Yeah. I learned, I definitely learned a lot. Yeah. yeah. Sweet. Thanks, Ashley. Yeah. Thanks so much, cool. Bill. Check out skipthesmalltalk.com to learn more about Ashley and her events. They have regular gatherings in Boston, New York, Los Angeles, San Francisco, Chicago, Baltimore, Kansas City, Philadelphia, and Portland. Special shout out to Maxi Freeney for editing the show. Thank you for all of your hard work. And I really love getting feedback from you. Tell me about what you enjoyed, any constructive comments you might have. Just send me an email. Go to billmei.net. I read every message. Finally, leave a review on iTunes. This helps other people find the show. And if you like the show, subscribe at friendshipfuturism.com. This gets you access to events if you subscribe to the email list, curated writing, and join the community. All right, looking forward to your reviews and comments. See you next time.